Great to hear such a good report from Cambodia. Well done, guys. Are you guys excited to hear about uh, the good things going on there, the healings? Yeah? Fantastic. All right. Well, are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah? Well, I'm excited to be able to preach to you this morning. The, uh, uh, I've just ha- had a download from God, if you like, so I'm excited to bring this. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike began a series on love, on the love of God, the extravagant love of God. And uh, I've got to, straight off the, the bat this morning, uh, I've got to say the, the whole concept of the love of God and, and love itself was a bit of a foreign concept for me because I grew up in a, in a family where we were a long, long, long way away from God. And uh, although I know that my mum and my dad loved me, I don't ever recall, can't ever remember one single incident of either my mother or my father um, expressing in words or telling me that they loved me. Never. And uh, I, I can't remember it because uh, in all probability it never happened. And uh, so when I became a Christian, I didn't uh, give my heart to the Lord until I was about 20. And uh, God began to work in my heart about the whole area of love. And I thought, I felt challenged to tell because I'd never told my mum or dad that I loved them either. And uh, so I felt challenged and I thought, well, God, if I, if I tell them that I love them, they're going to freak. Like, that's going to be seriously weird. And, uh, and so I remember it took a wee while and one day I was on the phone, and heart pounding. And uh, right at the end of my um, talking with my mum, I said, mum, I-, I love you, mum. And uh, there was a stunned silence at the end of the phone, absolutely stunned silence. And, uh, and then uh, she said, she muttered a little bit and said, ah, oh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, okay, and hung up. <laughs> and uh, it took quite a bit of time, both for me to break through and being able to express it, and for her to be able to receive it. And, uh, but over time, she, uh, she has softened a lot and is, is able to, re- one, able to receive it. And I, I think there's even been occasions when she's actually even said it. So uh, love is a powerful thing. But let me ask you this morning, what is your highest priority in life? Not what you think it should be, but what is your highest priority? What is actually going on in your life? Where does your time, where does your energy, where does your money go? Or what thoughts occupy your mind? So let me ask you another question just to help sharpen our focus. What changes would you make to your life and your priorities if you found that you only had a short time to live? What changes would you make? And I asked myself that question the other day. What changes would I make? And I remembered back to the movie, The Bucket List. How many of you have seen The Bucket List? Yeah, did you enjoy it? Yeah, all right. So I watched the movie and uh, The Bucket List, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, two complete strangers, worlds apart, who met in a hospital. They had nothing in common except their disease. And uh, on hearing that they had less than a year to live, they made a radical shift in the way that they were living their lives. And they started out on a road trip that is both hilarious and deeply moving at the same time. Stunning story. And uh, I wondered about the success of that movie and because everywhere I'd asked them, people would say, you've got to see that. And wow, did you, have you seen The Bucket List? And da 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 great movie. And uh, I wonder, what is, what is the significance of that movie? Why was it so successful? And I think it's because it strikes right at the heart of the shortness of life 
and the order of our priorities. It strikes right at the heart of it because the reality is we live short lives. Even if we die of old age and live strong, healthy lives and we live to 100, say we live to 100, our life is still short in the perspective of eternity. Life is short. And the reality is, as many people don't even live to that. So if that's the reality of our life, we've got to make sure that we're ordering our lives right, that we're living according to right priorities, that we're lining our lives up according to priorities that really matter. Because otherwise we finish our lives living it for something that doesn't really count. So what is your highest priority this morning? You see, there was a man who came and he asked Jesus that very question one day. I want you to turn with you, me in your Bible to Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. So if you've got your Bible there, let's flip over there. It'll turn up on the screen. There it is. All right. And one day, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, arguing. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. No other greater commandment than loving God and loving people. You see, the background to this is Jesus had been, had been talking with a group of religious people. This group of religious people had come to Jesus to give him a Bible exam and test him on what he knew and whether he really knew his stuff or not. And so they came to Jesus to argue with him. You see, Jesus, although he came into this world 2,000 years ago, there's many, many similarities to his world as there are to ours. And uh, just as, as, as uh, there are many differences as well. But here's one of the similarities. Just as it was then, it is now, that there are people who live with messed up priorities. They live with uh, majoring on minors and minoring on majors. People made molehills into mountains and mountains into molehills. And in the midst of of a group of people whose priority was religious nitpicking, Jesus spoke with razor-sharp clarity, and he said, the greatest priority in your life, the greatest priority of every human life, is to love God with fervency and passion, and to love people wholeheartedly. That is the greatest purpose in your life. Can someone say amen? Amen. Right, so this morning we're going to find out a little bit more about love. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bible uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, famous chapter on love. We're going to find out some more about love. How many of you want to know some more about love? Yeah? All right. So I'm going to start right at the end of that chapter. Verse 13, and I'm going to carry on to the first verse of uh, chapter 14. It says, this is Paul. Okay, and he says, so now faith. Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Say, the greatest of these is love. Come on, work with me this morning. The greatest of these is love. Hallelujah. And then it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
So let me give you a bit of context for this. The book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was spiritually alive and vibrant, but struggling with immorality, struggling with impurity, struggling with division, and they were messed up and mixed up in terms of their priorities. So Paul writes this letter to radically realign the church according to the priorities of the kingdom of God. And so he speaks powerfully on the priority of love. He speaks the most powerful message on the supreme value of love, the character of love, and the power of love. And at the end of this passage, Paul makes this powerful statement, pursue love, pursue love. Now, it's given in the context of spiritual gifts because it says there also, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, church, we're a church who love the gifts of the Spirit. We're a church who loves the Holy Spirit. We're passionate about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We believe that people should be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, praying for the sick, casting out demons, and seeing great things happen. We're a church that loves that. Are you with me this morning? Now, we're called to earnestly desire these things. And really, I'm going to say that we're good at that. We earnestly desire that. But my focus this morning is the pursuit of love. You see, it's not okay just to pursue, uh, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but not make a lifestyle of the pursuit of God. So I want to talk to you this morning about the pursuit of God. Because the pursuit of God, it's not some passive statement of easy come, easy go. It's an active, active thing that we do. It's an activity that we do where we chase after love as if we're wanting to catch it. It's not a, well, maybe, no worries, there's other things to look at. You see, people pursue with passion all sorts of things in life. People pursue wealth. People pursue happiness. People pursue fame and material stuff. People pursue acceptance. They just want to be accepted by others. Some people pursue a partner. Some people pursue power, some pleasure, some position. But of all the things that you can pursue in life, there is one thing that has got to take priority, and that's the pursuit of love. Someone say amen. So Jesus and the Apostle Paul say that love is our highest value, our greatest priority, and the pursuit of love is to be our lifetime goal. How then do we realign our priorities to the pursuit of love? How do we pursue love? So this morning, I've got some keys that will help you realign your life according to the priorities as God sees them and pursue love. So are you ready for that? All right. The first thing, first key to pursuing love is to bust the love myths. Bust the love myths. To pursue love, we need to bust the love myths. We need to be clear on what love is not. So Doug, what do you mean? What do you mean love myths? Surely there's no, no such thing as love myths. Yes, there are. Let me tell you some. Here's one love, uh, love myth. This myth that goes like, love is a feeling. All right. Let me tell you that it's a myth. Love is not a feeling. Love produces good feelings, but love is not a feeling. You see, we can watch these romantic movies on TV, and uh, uh, there's no problem with that. You watch them, but you can be left with the idea 
that love is this mushy, gushy, emotional feeling that you have when someone lights up your eye. Yeah? How many of you know that? <laughs> I won't ask you. Okay. Uh, we've all, hopefully we've felt that sometime, you know? That's a good feeling. All right? But love is not a feeling. It produces good feelings, but it is not a feeling. You see, people use this myth to walk out on relationships saying, I just don't feel any love for them anymore. And when the right time and the right help could have come to them, they could have saved that relationship. They could have been helped through that relationship and their love could have been strengthened and regained. But they walked out on it because they believe that the belief, the myth, that love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Here's another love myth. Love is uncontrollable. You see, this is a, another love myth that love is something that's random, that's chemical, that's uncontrollable. You know, and you hear it in statements like, I fell in love, or I've fallen out of love, or I just can't help it, I'm in love. You know, you hear these statements and you get the idea that love is something that's uncontrollable, that you wake up in the morning sometime and bang, it hits you and you're in love. Well, actually, that's not true, it's a myth. Love is controllable. If love wasn't controllable, there is no way Jesus would have been able to command it. There is no way Jesus would have been able to command something that we can't control. But Jesus commanded, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, and love even your enemies. You see, that's a love myth that we have to bust, that love is uncontrollable, because actually it's a choice that we make. Right, here's another love myth. You ready for this one? This might shock you. Okay, this is a love myth that needs to be busted. This myth goes, love is nice. Let me tell you straight, love is not nice. Love is not nice. Nice will not always tell the truth because it doesn't want to rock the boat or hurt, hurt feelings. Nice will not always speak up. I'm going to, brother. <laughs> Nice will not always speak up when it needs to because it's scared of conflict. Nice will not follow through with discipline when it's needed because it doesn't want to be disliked. You see, if Jesus had been nice in the way we think of nice, I tell you, he would have lived a long and healthy age and died of an old age. Yeah? You see, the truth is that Jesus was a perfect revelation of love. But he wasn't always nice. You see, Jesus always spoke the truth, even when it upset people and made them angry. Jesus was a perfect revelation of love, but he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid to rock the boat. Jesus was not afraid to rebuke and discipline when necessary. Jesus was loving, but I've read the Gospels, and I hear the way that he spoke to some people and I hear the way he rebuked the disciples. And I think, oh, my word, I wouldn't want to be on the end of that. I hear the way that he spoke to the Pharisees. And I think, wow, I so wouldn't want to be on the end of that. You see, Jesus was a perfect revelation of love. But he wasn't always nice. And, uh, you know, I think, kind of think now that if, uh, if some of the Christians from nowadays we're living in Jesus' time. They would want to take Jesus aside to counsel him and say, say, Jesus, now, 
how you spoke to those Pharisees, Jesus, that wasn't very nice. Jesus, we think that you need to grow in love. Actually, we think that the way that you spoke to them wasn't very godly. Hey, come on, give me a break. Jesus was the perfect revelation of love, and yet he spoke it how it is. He said what needed to be said, and he did what needed to be done. That was the God we serve. He is the perfect revelation of love. You like that? That's good. Okay, so love is not nice. Here's another myth, love myth. Love is not about liking someone. Love is not about liking someone. Doug, what are you saying about this? You see, you can love someone whether you like them or not because love is a choice. Of course, it's much easier to love people who love us. You know, the people who are nice to us. It's much easier to love them. Much easier. But what about the people who are rude, who are nasty, who are mean, who are obnoxious and hurtful. How on earth do we love them? What do we do about that? And Jesus, why would you ask us to? You see, because love can be activated without us necessarily liking or agreeing with someone. And so we're going to look more at that in a moment. But love can be activated without necessarily liking someone. So that's revelation for some of you, I know, right there. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take any special grace to love people who love us and are nice to us. Uh, even the nastiest criminals love their mummies, you know. <laughs> even in the baddest of bad people, they've got a soft spot in their heart for their mum. And they love people who love them and look out for them. You see, it doesn't take any special grace to do that. But I tell you, it takes a whole load of grace, a whole lot of, the, of, of God in your life to be able to love others who are not so lovable. Put it that way. All right. So to pursue love, we need to bust the love myths. Tell the person next to you, bust the love myths. All right. So those are the love myths, and then we need to bust them. To pursue love, we need to be able to recognize it. You see, most powerful definition of love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the, and the real core of it is in verses 4 through to 7. I'm going to read that to you because it's important that we recognize what true love is. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to, 4, uh, 4 to 7, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. That is the reality of love. Now, I was challenged some time back by, by someone's lifestyle and the, the love that just positively flowed out of their life. And I undertook it to start meditating on this passage because how do you let this grow in you? And I thought, I actually, I kind of read that and I've read it a number of times as, as we probably all have. We read it and I'd read it and I thought, well, that. I'm kind of a good guy, and I love my wife, and 
Actually, I'd, I'd say I'd give myself a, a, a pretty good rating on the love factor. And, uh, and then I started meditating on it. I thought, love is patient. Oh, Jesus. Have mercy on me, oh God. <laughs> because guess what? I started right there and I thought, oh my word, I'm not so patient. I tell you, I get home full of love and be within two seconds flat, absolutely impatient out of my skull with my family. I got a D, D for disaster on the patience rating. And uh, so I got, so I got a revelation of how great the love of God is versus where I personally am at. And I tell you, if you're thinking, well, Doug's a really bad dude and uh, he needs to spend some more time on that, spend some time on it yourself, okay? <laughs> Uh, come on. <laughs> so I spent some time on that, and love is patient, and working, working, working on it. God, I need your grace for patience. And then I go through it again. God, help me with this. Meditating on love does not envy. It's not arrogant, not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not, it's not, it's not irritable. Oh, dagger to my heart. I tell you, you get me on a bad day when I'm tired. Uh, I'm not a very nice sort of person. And, uh, come on, am I the only one like that? This is confessions of a pastor. <laughs> you get to hear mine, but what about yours? <laughs> okay, but as I read through it, I held the mirror of God's Word up to my life, and I began to see the egg on my face. I began to see the breakfast that I'd left there and thought, oh my word, but I wouldn't have seen it unless I'd held the word of God up to my life. So let me ask you, would you hold the word of God up to your life? Would you look at it and would you let the word of God examine you? See, I'm grateful for mirrors and I'm also grateful for my wife because sometimes in my hurry, I, I'm in a hurry to rush out of the door and my wife grabs me by the collar and says, Dougie, you don't want to go outside like that. <laughs> and uh, I say, wow, what, what, what's the problem? And uh, she said, well, the problem is you've got tooth waste all around your mush. And, uh, and if you go out like that, you're going to look an idiot. So, <laughs> so back, wash it off my face. We need others around us and we need the Word of God that's a mirror to our lives to show us where the toothpaste and the breakfast is still sitting, okay? Because otherwise, you've got no idea. You're thinking, well, I go to church, I read my Bible. I'm a pretty good sort of person. Pat, pat, pat. Not even. <laughs> Spend some time. Spend some time on the Word of God. You see, I put these characteristics into the positive, and I would say, uh, if I put these into the positive, I would, I would say, love is patient, love is kind, love is content because if it doesn't envy then it's content it doesn't boast therefore it's modest love is modest love is humble love is respectful love is selfless even tempered sweet spirited fair love is honest love is protective 
of the reputations of others. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, because love bears all things. What does that mean? Actually, what it means is love is protective of the reputations of others. Love believes the best. Love is optimistic. Love is persevering. If you were to put it into a sentence, you would say, love is action with attitude. It's doing the right thing for others out of a right motivation. That's what love is. And as we spend some time acquainting ourselves with what genuine love is and making that our focus, we will find that we're transformed by that because the Scripture says that as we behold the glory of God, we are changed by it. And this passage here gives a revelation on the glory of God. And as we look into it, and as we allow it to reflect into our lives, we are changed by it. How many of you want to be in an environment that is characterized by patience, by kindness, by contentness, by modesty, by humility, all of those things? How many of you want to be in an environment like that? Hallelujah. Then spend some time recognizing what true love is. All right. Now we're going to pursue love some further. So if we're going to pursue love, here's another key to the pursuit of love and making it the priority of our life. The key is to pursue love, we need to understand the benefits of love. We need to understand the benefits of love. To stay, to stay committed to the pursuit of love, we need to understand that there is huge payoffs. Because remember, this is not just about loving people who love us and are nice to us. This is about loving people even if they are undeserving, irritating, hurtful, and obnoxious. How do we love these kinds of people? How do we love them? How can we love people who just flat out tick us off? You got anyone that you can think of that just flat out ticks you off? All right, the temperature just dropped a couple of degrees. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But if we're not sure about the benefits of love, as soon as we come up against someone who does tick us off, who is hurtful, who is rude, who is obnoxious, then we will retreat behind the safety of loving those who love us and are nice to us and give everyone else what they deserve. <laughs> we don't want to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. But they deserve it. You're probably you're right. Okay, but that's not how God calls us to live. So what are the benefits of love, the pursuit of love? If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 to 3, it says... If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, here's the great benefit of love is that the pursuit of love will give your life significance. Because without love, without the pursuit of love, nothing you say will matter. Nothing you know will matter. Nothing you believe will matter. Nothing that you give will matter. And nothing that you accomplish will matter. 
But with love, it suddenly becomes significant. With love, your life suddenly becomes worth something. How many of you want to have a life of significance? Come on. All right, we want a life of significance. So if we want a life of significance, we need to learn to pursue love, to chase it, to run it down, to have it in our sights, to grab it, to make it our own, and to let it transform us. You see, love never fails. If you read further, here's another benefit of love, of pursuing love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Love never fails fails the word here fail means to lose to become inefficient to become useless to become powerless to become driven off course love never fails love never loses love never becomes inefficient love never becomes useless or powerless love is never driven off course i don't know about you but i like that a lot because i don't want my life to fail. I don't like failure. I hate losing. Absolutely hate losing. I can't stand inefficiency, and I certainly don't want to be driven off course for my life. There's a benefit of love. Love never fails. Love never fails. You know, people, I've got a whole lot more to say about love. Time is short this morning. If you want to really pursue love, you've got to know its source. You've got to know its source. And people are fuzzy on this because they look for love in all kinds of funny places. They look for love in all sorts of puddles. In friends and children and partners and even in pets. Some people even look for love in the, in the spirit realm. And one of the most important revelations for Kalinda and I was, this was when Kalinda wasn't even saved. And we were friends and Kalinda had been dabbling in, in, uh, uh, in some new age practices. And uh, she wrote to me one day and she was a long, long, long way from God. I had been a Christian for a couple of years at that stage, and she said to me that she had felt the healing power in love. And I thought, oh, my word. And, and I wrote back, and I said, Kalinda, what you need to know, what you need to know is that God is love. If you're looking for love, you find it in God. You see, because God is love. In 1 John 4, in verse 8, it says that God is love. Love isn't just something that God does. It is who God is. And that began for Kalinda, a search for the God of love. That somewhere around 18 years ago, led her through the doors of this church. And led her into an encounter with the God of love. It began a life-changing experience for her. For which I'm eternally grateful for. See, love isn't just something that God does. 
It's his nature. It's who he is. He can't not be loving because he is love. Can I have the band, please? This morning, it's not enough for us to know all these things about love and about God. That's not enough. You see, because there's people out there who can spout Scripture and verse about the love of God, yet they've never been changed by it because they've never experienced it. This morning, make a decision to experience the love of God. Right where you are, right in this place this morning, we can hear about the love of God, but now experience it. Because as we experience the love of God, we're changed by it. We somehow become more lovely when we're loved. And that's a miraculous thing in itself. So right now, every head bowed. Would you join me in a pursuit of love? Church, each one of you, would you join me in a commitment to pursue love? Would you do that this morning? You see, I want you to have a think for a moment while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed. What would your life look like if you realigned your life to pursue love? What would your class, your workplace, your home be like? What would your family be like if you made the commitment to pursue love? What would your marriage be like if you backed off your positions and made a heart commitment to love each other and pursue love together? What would your marriage be like? Bay City, what would our church be like? What would our church be like if each one of us, every one of us, made a commitment to pursue God and to pursue love? Because the pursuit of love is the pursuit of God. Because God is love. So Father, right now we ask, Lord, let your presence come. Lord, we open our hearts to you. We say, God, come and fill. Let us know and experience your love. Let us know what it is to be loved by the God who is love. Every one of you, if you want to make a commitment this morning to pursue love, lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, I'm making a commitment to pursue love. That's good. So many of you are so happy about that. 